Well, if I were to say the name Bill Buckner to you, how many of you know who I'm talking about? Show of hands. Okay, about half the room. Bill Buckner was a really, really good baseball player. You know, for a long, long time, uh, he was a great baseball player. Now, granted, he was probably never destined to be in the Hall of Fame, but with a career that spanned 22 seasons uh, with five different teams and over 2,700 hits in his major league career, he should, he should be remembered as one of the best of our time, of my generation anyway. Um, uh, Buckner was playing when I was a kid, when I was a young man. Uh, but instead, Bill Buckner is always remembered for one play. See, Bill Buckner was the first baseman for the Boston Red Sox in 1986 uh, when they went to the World Series. Now, they hadn't won a World Series, the team hadn't, since 1918. Uh, In fact, the the entire city of Boston hadn't won a professional championship since then. And and so uh, the city's hopes were were on the shoulders of the Red Sox. And and in Game 6 of the World Series, the, the Red Sox were already up three games to two. Um, they were getting ready to celebrate. Uh, they were leading the game 5-3 to three in the bottom of the 10th. And so if you know anything about baseball, you know it only goes nine innings. And so in the 10th inning, the Red Sox had scored two runs. Uh, they were up, and with two outs, they were up 5-3. to three. In other words, they were just about ready to celebrate. Uh, the Red Sox locker room was covered in plastic, prepared for the champagne ambush that was coming. And actually, the... the um, scoreboard at Shea Stadium accidentally flashed congratulations Red Sox world champions on it uh, before the game was over. Well, some pitching troubles uh, started to bother the Red Sox, and before they knew it, it was 5-5 in the 10th inning, but then with two outs and a chance to continue on in the series, this is what happened. Watch this. Oh, you can't see it. Can you start that over? Can you play that one more time, just in case you haven't seen it? I don't know if we'll get video. Okay, well, that's all right. It worked before the service. Let me tell you what happened. You just heard the play, the play call there. But what happened was Mookie Wilson kind of chopped the ball, and it rolled right down the first baseline, easy third out. And Bill Buckner bent over to get it, and the ball went right between his legs and down the first baseline, and the winning run of that game scored. And uh, the Red Sox were devastated, and they went on to lose the seventh game of the World Series and lose the World Series. The Mets won game six. They won game seven. They won the World Series, and it took the Red Sox another 22 years uh, before they won a World Series. And to this day, many uh, people in Boston, in New England, and even, honestly, baseball fans still blame Bill Buckner for that loss. Now, Buckner could be remembered for a lot of things. Uh, Like I said, he had over 2,700 hits in his career. Uh, He won the American League batting title in 1980. He twice played in the All-Star game. Uh, He finished in the top 10 votes for most valuable player twice. But for years after that World Series game, Bill Buckner was remembered as the guy who let the ball go through his legs in the World Series. Now, years after that happened, he was in New England, in uh, Connecticut, I believe. He was signing autographs for fans when a kid handed him a ball to sign. And his dad said, wait, don't hand that to him. He might drop it. (laughs) And that was all it took for Bill Buckner as his kids were there. Um, He packed up his family, including his high school daughter, who was getting ready to graduate, and his younger son, and they moved to Idaho. Uh, They felt like Idaho was the only place he could get away from this reputation, is the only place he could run away from his failure. You know, some failures you recover from. I mean, after all, Buckner had 140 other errors in his career, but some you never can. Some failures are funny, especially when they happen to other people. But when it comes to my failures, maybe not so much. 
And so today we're starting this new series called Getting Past Your Past. And if you're new here, what we do is we pick a topic and we talk about it for three, four, five, six weeks until we're tired of it, sometimes 31 weeks, uh, and then we move on to something else. And so for, for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea uh, of getting past your past. And so I just want to give you a brief idea of what the next three weeks are going to look like. You know, many of us uh, feel trapped by our past. You know, we're prisoners of our past. We feel labeled or limited by something that happened to us or something that we did to someone else. And over the next three weeks, our hope is that we can uh, like help you remember the truth from this scripture, from this passage in 2 Corinthians 5. It says this, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. And so what that says to me is if you don't like who you are, Hang on a minute, because if you are in Christ, you can be a new creation. This is going to be our key verse for this series. You know, you should underline it in your Bible. If you have your Bible here, 2 Corinthians is about the middle of the New Testament. You could highlight it. You could, you could write it down on your worship program. You could write, put it, stick it on your steering wheel of your car, on the mirror in your house. For the next three weeks, uh, this is the verse we're going to camp out on. Uh, memorize it, recite it, use it, because it'll change your life. Now, let me show you why this is so important to you. Uh, show of hands. How many of you here today have a past? Good, just about everybody. Good, I'm glad to see that. Now, how many of you have something in your past that you're maybe not proud of? I'll raise my hand. Good, most of us do, right? Now, for, for many of us, someone betrayed us or somebody lied to us or somebody hurt us and we're, we're still carrying around the pain and the bitterness from that and, and maybe we've thought we've let it go, but every time we see them, we just kind of get a little tense. We, uh, we haven't been able to honestly forgive them. And in a couple weeks, in two weeks, we're going to talk about what that means, what it means for us to forgive. Now, next week, we're going to talk about labels. You know, whether we like it or not, even whether we know it or not, many of us walk around with a bunch of labels stuck to us. Like, uh, there's some things that we put there and some things that we let other people attach. We've got labels that are good and labels that are not so good. And, but we're going to talk about how we peel those off. You know, for many of us, we've allowed something or someone to tell us who we are, to characterize us. But I believe that God wants to help us overcome that. And so next week, we're going to talk about getting past labels. But today, I want to talk about our personal failures, uh, the mistakes that we've made. How do we overcome the sinfulness of our past? Now, here's why this is so important. Uh, For so many of us, including uh, I'm sure many of you, uh, you know that God's forgiven you, right? And intellectually, you know you've done something and God's forgiven you, but you don't feel that in your heart. Like you still carry around the guilt with that. You may even say, you know, I just haven't forgiven myself yet. You know, I don't know what that may be for you, but I know for some of you, uh, there's a real sense of heaviness when you think about your sexual past. That you were young and you didn't know any better, and at the time it seemed like a lot of fun, but you didn't realize what an emotional impact that sex can have on your life. And years later, there's all this guilt and all this baggage, and it's affecting your marriage, and it's affecting your family, and, and you wish you could change the past. Now, for some of you, there's a pattern of sin in your life right now. Like it's something that you fall into over and over and over again. And, and you pray for forgiveness and you, you swear everything is going to change, but a few days later, you fall down again. Now maybe you've defeated everything else in your life, but there's this one thing that just keeps coming back. You know, or maybe you look back and you think about some hurtful words that you've said to someone. You, you didn't mean it. You know, it just came out. You were angry. You were frustrated, whatever it is, but you regret what you said. And you know you can't unsay those words. And even though you've moved on, uh, you know that memory is still there with them. They still remember what you said, and it's affecting the relationship. Uh, Maybe for you, it's an unfulfilled expectation. 
You know, you had so much potential and the opportunity was there for you to be a great success in business or to, to help lots of people or to get that new career or to move to that city. And now you were never able to fulfill that. And you think about how it could have been so different, but your life could be so different now, but it's not. Uh, maybe you've made a bad decision in the past and now they're just catching up to you and, and word is getting out or you're afraid that word's going to get out. You're worried that everybody's going to know soon and you, you hate it. You don't know what to do about it. You wish you could change the past, but you can't. Uh, maybe you've betrayed your spouse and years later your spouse has forgiven you and your kids have forgiven you and you know that God's forgiven you, but you still carry that guilt around in your heart. And you think about it every day and how your life would be different if you'd never fallen down. Maybe you're divorced today and, and you still carry some of that shame or some of that hurt with you. You wonder how things could have been different if I'd have just tried a little harder, if I'd have just loved a little more, if I'd just done a little bit more. Maybe for some of you, your kids are grown and you're watching them make their own mistakes now and you wonder, how could I have done better as a parent? Like, if only I'd paid more attention. If only I'd uh, watched who they were hanging out with. If only I'd invested more in their education or, or if only I'd seen the signs, you know, then maybe my kids wouldn't be where they are today. It's kind of like what David felt, must have felt when he wrote this passage from Psalm 38. He, he says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I wonder today just how many of us feel that. Like we've got this guilt from something. All of us carry around personal failures. And some of these are, are big and important and they've changed our lives. Uh, some are small and insignificant. And, and some are things we've done wrong thing, and some are things we've failed to achieve. Uh, but what they all have in common is that if they are not resolved, they will weigh us down like a burden too heavy to bear. It's like we have this past that we're not proud of and it's following us around wherever we go. Well, here's my hope and prayer for you today. If you get nothing else from this morning, if you've got to leave, if you've got to check out, whatever, here's what I hope you'll get. You don't have to be known by your past. Instead, you can be known by what Jesus has done for you. When you embrace the power of that truth in your mind and in your heart, God can help you get past your past and even recognize and feel that forgiveness. So what I want to do is I'm going to give you three truths today. Now, if you have your worship program, uh, there's some sermon notes there. You can write these down if you want. You can keep them with you this week, and it may help you as you're processing through this. But these are three spiritual realities that when you get to a place that you can say them, and you can believe them, and you can embrace them, they will help you get past your past. Uh, the first one is this. Your greatest sin is nothing compared to God's grace. Your greatest sin is nothing compared to God's grace. Our greatest sins, our biggest failures are much smaller than the love and grace of God. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. You know, in other words, you can't out-sin God's grace. That's what Paul was trying to say. Now, as I've been living in this world of ministry for the past two years or so, one thing I've discovered is that a lot of people are overwhelmed with guilt over something that they've done or something that they've failed to do. I mean, it just, it's all over the place. We somehow think this makes us holy, like uh, that we have this emotion that I know I did that, but I feel guilty about it, and so that makes us a little bit better. It relieves us a little bit uh, of the fact that we did something wrong. It's, it's like it's the right emotion to feel. But I want you to know something and understand something, that guilt does not come from God. Okay, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And listen, look at this. Leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. 
So godly sorrow brings repentance and leaves no regret. Now, so uh, what this verse says is if you have a lingering sense of guilt and regret in your life, it's not from God. That guilt comes from your enemy. We talked about this last week, right? That we all have a spiritual enemy, right? We know that. We understand that. A very real spiritual enemy, and he loves guilt. Uh, guilt is one of the things he used because guilt can paralyze us. It can stop us from doing anything. It can make you think that you're not good enough. It can make you believe that you can never be forgiven and that you can't ever get past your past. And guilt breeds self-hatred, right? But how is that different from godly sorrow? Well, the scripture says that godly sorrow brings repentance. It's a, it's a change of behavior. Godly sorrow is a conviction from God, and that's different from guilt. A conviction from the Holy Spirit produces life change. It gets us moving in the right direction. That's what that word repentance means. It means to turn around, to turn from, right? And so godly sorrow produces change in our life. First John 1 John 1.9 says it this way, If we confess our sins, he, talking about God, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You guys know what this is? This is an Etch-A-Sketch. I had one of these when I was a kid. Um, Kevin, you know what these call these in Kentucky? It's an iPad. <laughs> I had a couple of these when I was a kid, and I was really good at making steps. You know, I was really good at making stairs on them, but when it came to something that was round, um, not so much. You know, they always show on the package that you can make a circle. And I don't have yet to meet anybody who has the finger dexterity required to make anything that looks remotely like a curve on an Etch-A-Sketch. Maybe you do. I'd love for you to show me after the service. But, but the really cool thing about these is when you make that mistake, right? You turn it up and slide down and shake it, and it's clean again, you know? That was what was really cool about these. You know that that's what God wants to do for you. That 1 John 1, 9 promises that anything you've done wrong in your past through faith and forgiveness in Christ... It's gone forever. It's erased. I wonder if you were to look at the etch-a-sketch of your life, like what mistakes you've made on there before. You know, bitterness, unfaithfulness, envy, anger, resentment. Maybe you walked out on your wife or, or your kids and you regret that. Maybe at that one point in your life that you, you got pregnant and it was an accident and you went and had an abortion and, and you keep thinking about that child and what that might have been like, you know, and nobody else knows about it, but it still haunts you every day. Maybe there's something deep in your past that you've kept a secret that, that you can't stop thinking about it. The Bible says that it doesn't matter what it is, that, that God, the faithful God, wants to turn it upside down and shake it and erase it, that God will forgive our sin. In Jeremiah 31, it says this, For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Now, this is the almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, okay, God that we're talking about. He doesn't just forget our sin. Instead, he's making a conscious choice, a decision not to remember our sin. Like, not to remember the things that we did in our past. He refuses to remember anything and everything. The second truth I want to give you is this. You are not your sin, but you are who God says you are. You're not what you've done. You're a child of God. You're not an adulterer. You're not a business failure. You're not a former addict. 
You're not a divorcee. You are not anything that you have done. You are a child of God. That's what Scripture says. If you are in Christ, okay, and that's an if. We'll talk about that in a minute. If you have accepted Christ's work in your life, his lordship over your life, then you are a new creation. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. In 2007, the Boston Red Sox finally won the World Series. And on opening day in 2008, Bill Buckner was invited back to Fenway Park to throw out the opening pitch. I mean, it was an emotional day for him and his teammates, and he received a standing ovation uh, from the crowd at Boston's Fenway Park as he walked triumphantly back into the stadium. I mean, can you imagine what that must have felt for him after 22 years of grief and shame and regret and sorrow? I want to tell you that if you come back to God, you get the heavenly equivalent of a standing ovation. You know, Jesus says there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. And the beautiful thing about God's work in our life is that you are not your sin, but you are who God says you are. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. That word anyone in that passage means anyone of you. Anyone. So maybe the question you need to ask yourself today is this. Am I in Christ? Do I belong to Christ? Am I a new creation in Jesus? Now, I know in this room, not everyone is, and that's fine. And, and if you're here and you're not sure how you feel about Jesus yet, or you don't, you don't know what you think about church right now, or you don't know even what you believe about God, that's great. And take your time. We are so glad you're here, and you are welcome here every week. But if you're not a Christ follower yet, and you're wondering how this all applies to you, I want to be as clear as I can. You can't be a new creation in Christ until you choose to be in Christ. Until you choose to embrace the power of Jesus for your own life. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the fact is that your past defines you. I mean, the only thing that people will see about you is what you've done and where you've been and who you've been. Your sin defines you. You're always going to view yourself as that person who did that thing. But it doesn't have to be like that. You know, once you enter into a relationship with Christ, he freely offers that power of forgiveness and hope for your life. Once you surrender your life to him, he offers new direction and, and power for everything in your life, for your past, your present, and your future. But for that to be a reality, you have to first reach out to him. You've got to ask him. You've got to invite him into your life. And I'm going to give you the opportunity in just a few minutes to do that. But before I do that, I want to tell you a story. Right after my wife and I got married, um, uh, we were working about a half mile apart, and so it was uh, very frequent that we got to go have lunch together. Usually I would drive over to uh, the parking lot where she worked because she had a really short lunch break, and um, there was a guy that she worked with uh, that played in a rock and roll band. And so he played a lot of gigs, a lot of clubs at night, and then he'd come in to work uh, seven to four during the day. And so sometimes some of those gigs went late into the night, as you can imagine, two, three in the morning. And so he didn't really have time to go home and sleep. And so he would um, sleep in his car. And he played in a rock and roll band 
uh, which came with all of the accoutrements that you can imagine come with a rock and roll band, including probably some um, mind-altering substances that were used because sometimes when I'd see him, uh, even at noon, but especially in the morning, he would be staggering into the workplace, and I'm not quite sure how he made it. Oftentimes, when he would drive to work, uh, and when I would come over for lunch, there would be a young lady, a uh, different young lady every time, waiting in his car that he had picked up at the show that night, um, be- but because she didn't have a car or didn't have a ride, uh, he would drive to work and she would sleep in his car while he was working and then at lunch he would come out and uh, have lunch with her or whatever. And uh, anyway, that was kind of his life. Now, that was the way he lived and, and uh, my wife Benita and I would kind of look and we'd kind of shake our head and say, man, that, that guy, he's never going to amount to anything. It's so sad. And at the time, we weren't even Christ followers, but we could see you know, that there was somebody that needed some help and we didn't know what was going to happen to him. Well, well uh, she left that job and, and got another job and, and we never heard from him for a long time and, and we found Jesus and, and God started working in our lives and we started doing some things and then we heard uh, through the grapevine from some people that knew him that he was now a, uh, a, a music pastor at a church and we said there's no way there's no way I mean I know his life I know what he used to do I I saw him uh, wasted in his car I saw him with a different woman every day and as we started talking to people and more and more people that knew him and then we started meeting people that knew his wife his wife that had met him and and helped him get cleaned up and we started talking to people that had seen him play at their church and then he came to play at our church one time and then we said Whoa, wait a minute. But it took us a long time to actually accept the fact that there was this guy who had had drug use in his past and he had womanizing in his past and that God had changed him and made him a new creation and he became somebody who went and sang the praises of God in front of all these people. And it was incredible for us. And it was unbelievable for us, literally, for a long time. But the Bible says that we become new, not because of anything that we do, but because Jesus makes us new. That when you invite Jesus into your life, you become a new creation right there. It's who you are. But, but I got to tell you that God works from the inside out. And so God changes our heart, but then he starts to change our behavior. And so uh, what we look for so many times to see as evidence of somebody who's changed their heart is we look at their behavior and we think sometimes, no, I, I got to tell you, that can't be him. And, and so... The problem is that not everybody recognizes it right away. And so I always try to write something in all of my message for every person in the room. And so, so far, if you're here and you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time and, and maybe you, you don't have anything in your past you're not proud of, or maybe you've already dealt with that and you feel like, that, like God has already rescued you from that. Maybe you don't have any guilt. You know, maybe you're over it. I have something for you too. Guys, we can be very judgmental. I mean, especially toward new Christians. We can be cynical. We can doubt the work that God has done in their lives. We can be skeptical because we know their past. We see their, their past. We see their tattoos. We see that their lifestyle hasn't quite caught up with their spiritual walk. We would do well to remember, to look back and remember how far God has brought us in our walk. I've had people come up to me before and say, hey, Steve, I don't think you should baptize her because I know what she's done in the past. I've had people say to me, hey, I don't think he should be serving in that way because you don't know what he's done. Let me talk to you about that. And I say, you know what? God changes all of us from the inside out. And we would do well to remember that. You know, God teaches us all at different rates. And, and we should be happy about anyone, anyone, anyone who is seeking God's will and leadership in their lives. Okay, point number three is this. You can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. You can't change your past but Christ can change your future. Jesus can change your future. What a powerful truth that a risen Christ can change your future. I mean, so many of us spend so much time trying to change our past, 
And that's what we do. So many times when we have regrets, we look back and we say, we're trying to make that right. We're trying to adjust that. We're trying to change it. It's important to recognize and accept that we can't do it. I love how one pastor said this. He said, Jesus is less concerned with your history than your destiny. Jesus is less concerned with your history than your destiny. That's great news because we can't change our history. But Christ can change our destiny. I, I kind of like to be funny sometimes. And so uh, when we were expecting our first child, our daughter Grace, I wanted to lighten the mood in the delivery room. It's the dream of every new father to have those memorable moments uh, that you were going to talk about for years and years. And I came up with one. And so I planned out things to say, things that I thought would be funny. I remember when Benita was in labor and had been for probably five or six hours at that point. And I could tell she was in some pain. And so I thought it would be a great moment to lighten the mood. Ladies, don't judge me for this, okay? I was really trying to be funny. This is not how I am. So I pulled out one of the... I had a little paper that had some phrases on it that I'd been saving up. And so I pulled out this paper and I said, I said, you can do this. You are a sturdy, handsome woman. She has never let me forget that. Maybe with good reason. I mean... Even though it was a joke, and even though I didn't mean anything by it, I was just trying to be funny. She reminds me of it quite frequently, actually, more than you might think. And, and I really regret saying it. <laughs> and I wish I could go and take it back. I heard one author say that living with regrets is like driving a car that only goes in reverse. Think about that. You only keep going back and back and back, and you never get where you want to go. Henry David Thoreau said that never look back unless you are planning to go that way. The point is that no matter what kind of mistake or hurt or sin you have in your past, you can't change it because it's already happened. It was back there. But you can decide even today to have a different future. You you can't change it. You can't. Okay, it's time to let it go. Maybe your dream was to marry once and then have a lifelong marriage, but it didn't work out. He walked out. She cheated. uh, You ended it. You can't change it. Maybe you were young and foolish and you got pregnant and oh, how different your life would have been if only... You didn't have that hanging over your head, but you can't change it. You know, maybe you said something hurtful to your mom or dad, but now they're gone. And you can never apologize for that. You can't change that. I'm sorry. You know, maybe you forced your kids into something to, to be something they didn't want to be. Or, or you lied to someone or you stole from someone or whatever else it is. You can't change what happened. If you have anything that you regret in your past, anything you wish you hadn't happened, please know this. You don't have to be known by what you've done in your past. You can be known by what Jesus has done for you. You know, those of us who follow Christ, we have a Savior in whom all things are possible. He's working in all things, the good things and the bad, to bring a future to those who love him. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church, and he says this, uh, Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and this is the key, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Some of you are here and you may feel like, now wait a minute, I've been a Christian for a long time. And I still have guilt from my past. And Paul alludes to that in this very verse. He says, not that I've already attained all this. Not that I've already arrived at my goal. He says, hey, this is a process, okay? It doesn't happen overnight. But I hope that you can see today 
Like if your enemy has been hanging your past over your head, you can be changed by the truth that your past doesn't have the final word. That when your past calls, hang up. It doesn't have anything to say about your future. You know, God has the final say in your life. By the power of Jesus Christ, you can, as Paul writes, forget what is behind and strain forward to what is ahead and you can get past your past. And I know some of you want to stop right here and say, wait a minute, that's precisely my problem. I can't forget what is behind. I can try all I want. I've tried, but I can't forget what I've done. I can't forget what happened. And and that's what I love about these words that Paul wrote. That that very phrase, forgetting the past, that that phrase doesn't mean to have your memory erased. It doesn't mean that you take everything you know and shake it up and it's gone. It means to pay thoughtless attention to, you know, to give thoughtless attention. It means, you know, not opening that book and reading the same page day after day after day. It means not accessing that file on your hard drive of your mind day after day after day. It means not keep rewinding that video and watching it day after day after day. It means you no longer give attention to it. So let me ask you, what mistake do you need to start treating with thoughtless inattention? You aren't who others say you are. You're not who they sometimes say you are. You're not who you sometimes say you are. You are uh, who God says you are. No sin is too great for God's grace. You may not be able to change your past, but I promise that by the power of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, he can and will change your future. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for that truth. And, And I sense even in this room the desperation of people that wish they could go back, that wish they could change what's happened. Uh, They wish they could go back and unsay those words or undo that action or whatever it is, Lord. But I thank you for the reminder that we can't do that, but that doesn't have to be the end, that you can give us a new future. And God, I pray for everybody in this room that's struggling with that, that idea that uh, I've got a regret, I've got guilt from my past, I've got something that I need to change. God, I pray that even today you would start changing them, change them from the inside out, start with their heart, And then move to their actions. God, so many times we try to change our actions first, um, but we know that you want to be in our heart, that you want to live there. You want to guide us from the inside. So thanks for that. Lord God, I know that even now there are people in this room that are just here checking this out and they haven't, uh, they are not in Christ. So they can't be a new creation. And if you're here today and and you're in that boat, I want to give you an opportunity today to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And so I would love to pray with you um, if, you're, if you're in that situation right now where you say, I want to be a new creation, I want to be brand new, I, I don't like who I've been, I want the new creation to come and the old to be gone, uh, you could just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm not proud of my past, I'm not proud of what I've done, but I am holding on to the hope that you can give me a new future. And so would you do that? Would you come into my heart? Would you send your Holy Spirit to live in me, to guide me, to be uh, my Savior? God, I thank you for this word today. And as we go into a time of communion and worship, I just pray that we would keep you in our hearts, that any time we hear those words, you are, you are, you are, I am, I am, I am, that we would think, no, God is, that God's the one that tells us who we are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The only reason that Jesus Christ can make us new is because he who knew no sin became sin for us and took all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all of our failures to the cross and it died with him. And today we get to celebrate that. We get to remember that together. And we're going to do that by the taking of communion.
Uh, here's what we believe about communion at Genesis Church. If, if you call Genesis, or if, if you are a, uh, you don't have to call Genesis Church your home. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have invited him to be the Lord of your life, you're welcome to take communion here. And we've got four tables. We've got two in the front and two in the back that have the elements on it. When you come up, you'll pull what you think is one cup. is actually two cups stuck together. Uh, there's the, the bread in the bottom and the juice in the top. Uh, would you, as Cameron plays here behind me, would you make your way up to the front or to the back, grab your elements, bring them back to your seat and hold on to them, and we'll take communion together here in just a minute. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you want to make all things new, that through your life and your death on the cross and your rising from the, from the dead, that we can be a new creation. I thank you that you took all of our sin and piled it on your shoulders and went to the cross with it. And I thank you that as we remember that today, that we can have great confidence uh, that you've already done all the work in our lives that we need to do and you just want to start changing us uh, from the inside out. Thanks for that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.